Well, good morning. It's lovely to uh, be here with you all. And uh, welcome if you're here with the dedication as well. Lovely to have you here with us. I love baby dedications. Just a lovely part of family life here at the church. And if you are new as well, welcome. We'd love to get connected with you. Fill all that form in that Rich said and we can get connected. Uh, I'm not in the habit of adding to notices, but I am going to add to the notices and say this Tuesday is the last call to prayer of the year, our monthly prayer meeting. So uh, if you're around, please join Emma Blustin and myself as we, we lead, and the team as we lead uh, that prayer meeting. It's a great time of worship and prayer. And you know, as it's the end of the, end of the year for us, call to prayer, a time to thank God for what he's done, but also start thinking ahead and thinking about the Christmas season coming up. So please, please come along to that. Well, uh, I'm excited about having an opportunity to speak as part of this sermon series entitled The Jesus Stories. There it is. And uh, if you've missed the past three weeks, I'd encourage you to catch up with our podcast, our videocast. Chris has done a fantastic job uh, over the past three, three weeks unpacking Jesus for us, helping us, if you like, reconsider, you know, reevaluate who Jesus is. You know, who is he really? And I guess the main point us preachers coming up here in this series is to help make the main thing the plain thing. Because it's all about Jesus. You take Jesus away, what have we got? A great club with some good activities. Well, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I certainly love the opportunity to be challenged about who Jesus is. Who is he really? Who is he really? And I think the truth is we will never truly know this side of glory, will we? But we'll have an eternity to find out. But that equally is not an excuse and a reason to say, well, what's the point? Too complex for me. No, we've got to press in. There is so much more for us. And that's what Chris has done for us over the past three weeks. And he looked at the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke. And as Chris said, Luke was writing to his friend Theophilus about the accounts of Jesus. And, um, you know, Luke was very subtle in, in, in crafting this message because, as Chris said, there was a subtext. And the subtext, the question was, who is Jesus? Who is he really? Was he a good man, a good teacher? Absolutely. That Sermon on the Mount, wow, cool teaching. Was he a miracle worker? Absolutely. Look at the way the lepers were healed. Look at the healings that took place. Yes, a miracle worker. Was he someone that lived and walked and talked a countercultural message? Absolutely. Talk about the change maker. You know, aren't we in a, in a, a season and time now where the world is calling out for change, isn't it? You only have to put the news on and see what's happening around us. Well, Jesus is the number one change maker. Look how he valued women and reached out to women. Look how he valued the outcast and the poor in society. Wow, talk about a countercultural message. And yet there's more. And Chris said, I love the way he packages up for us. You know, Jesus was the Lord of creation, the Lord over sickness, the Lord over evil. But get this, are you ready? He's the Lord over death. Really? Death? Death could not hold him. He rose again. Wow. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And so this morning we carry on looking at who Jesus is and smashing some of our boxes. You okay with that? You know, it's not as if we intentionally create boxes, is it? It's just that our worldview, how we see the world and how we see ourselves, we get comfortable the way we perceive Jesus. So this morning we're going to do some box smashing. And we're going to do that with the aid of looking at the book of John. And I love uh, the gospel of John because, um, you know, 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels. In other words, they follow a very similar synopsis, a similar timeline, similar stories. But John follows a different synopsis. And it's said by scholars and early church tradition that John wrote this after the other gospels to supplement supplement and provide some additional stories. And so the story we're going to look at is a story that you cannot find anywhere else. It's unique to John. <clears throat> and uh, I thought what I might do is a little bit different and introduce it with a joke. You okay with that? Can we have jokes in church? Yes, it's fine, Mark. It's fine. And by the way, my parents told me this joke. So if it goes down like a lead balloon, it's their fault. It's typically how I run things. You know, Anything I do bad, that's my parents' fault. You know, It's worked for me for 38 years, so I carry on. So here we go. Let's see if you can guess the story with this joke. So uh, a vicar is in the car, and he's driving home one evening. You'll just see some smiles. Maybe you've heard this one before. And a police officer is in his car behind him, following him. And he thinks he can see this car swerving. He thinks, wait a minute, something's going on here. I think he's been drinking, whoever's in this car. So he pulls the, you know, flashes, pulls him over, goes round to the window, knocks on the, and the, and the vicar, window comes down. Obviously, the police can see, policeman can see the, the dog collar and says, oh, excuse me, uh, vicar, uh, have you been, you know, drinking and having any alcohol tonight? To which the vicar said, no, no, officer, of course not, I've just been drinking water. Well, the police officer is a bit suspect, so he gets his torch and shines it on the passenger seat, and there is a bottle of wine. Quick as a flash, the vicar says, oh, my lord, he's done it again. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, thank you. Well, there's a few, few applause. <clears throat> well done, mum and dad, good joke. Um, so what story are we looking at? The story of Jesus changing the water into wine. There you go. Do you like that? Thanks, Dan. I appreciate the encouragement. Right, so let's, <laughs> let's turn to John chapter 2, which is where we're going to find this story. And we're going to read it together, verses 1 to uh, 12. And then we're going to go from there. So in the Bibles, John chapter 2. You got it? It's going to be on the screen as well. Let's read it together. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' his mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' his mother said to him, they have no more wine. I have to chuckle at this point. It's a typical mother thing. Mark, your socks are on the floor. It's a kind of request without actually asking for anything, isn't it? I love that. Jesus, there's no more wine. What are you going to do about it? I love it. And Jesus' response, woman... Why do you involve me? I love that. So real. Mom, what do you mean my socks are on the floor? Why are my parents being featured so much in this? I have no idea. I need some counseling, obviously. Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. She obviously carries weight, this mother, I tell you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That is a lot. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. <gasps> What's going to happen? They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. 
there they stayed for a few days. What a great story. What a great miracle to start his career. But, okay, I'm going to say it. Wine? Really? Wine? Think about this, right? Jesus is about to launch his public career onto the world stage as the Son of God, and he chooses wine? You can imagine his PR team. No, 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 Jesus. No, no, you want to go big on this. This is your launch event. Don't do the water to wine. That's small. You know, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't do it like this. With respect. I would, I would go straight for Lazarus. Let's go raise the dead first if I'm going to do a big PR event. But no, Jesus doesn't, does he? Think, think about this. I, I, you know, I'm joking, but I'm trying to get to some truth here. Jesus doesn't do a big event. What he does is he responds to his mother and his friend's plight, doesn't he? Where am I going with this? I've spent a lot of time thinking and praying about this and saying, Lord, why, why water to wine? Why, why did... Why did why did Jesus choose that? And you know, the, the same thing keeps coming back and back and back. Love. Love. Think about this. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned about himself. His whole motivation was and is love. You see, love doesn't limit itself to flashy world first, does it? And big PR launches and big PR events. It doesn't go out of its way to promote oneself. Jesus wasn't there in this moment to create a name for himself. He didn't care about his career prospects. If he did, he wouldn't have focused on the wine. He would have gone to some big things. If he did, why bother with something so trivial as wine, right? No, his mission was and is to demonstrate the love of God. Let, let me try and unpack this from a different, different perspective. This wedding ceremony in Jewish culture was the biggest party. It would last for a week. This is what we're talking about here. For a week. And the bridegroom had one job and one job only, and that was to provide the wine. That was all he had to do was bring the wine. And here we have the bridegroom. He's obviously made a mistake somewhere. Because he is about to run out. Think, no, genuinely, think about this. He is about to run out and look a fool. It would have been a catastrophe. You can imagine his poor bride. The shame in the culture at this time of the party ending. You can imagine him blessing future dinner parties. Well, I'll do the food, darling, and you get the wine. Mm, I'll get the wine. You know what happened last time? We ran out. This bridegroom was about to look a fool. And so where am I going with this? You know, for many of us, the box that we have Jesus in is not a box of no power. No, we believe Jesus can do big miracles. We believe he's all powerful. The box we have Jesus in is a box that says, my stuff is too trivial for Jesus. Jesus only does the big stuff. Jesus isn't interested in my plight, in my small bit. But this is not what this is showing. If that was a kind of Jesus that only did the big stuff, he would have said, woman, why do you bother me with this? I'm not going to do it. But he didn't. He responded out of love. He responds to every small piece in your life out of love. And for some of us, because of how we perceive ourselves, we've got this box that says, don't touch Jesus for the small stuff. He's not interested in me. I'm telling you now, friends, that is a lie of the enemy. You are missing out on the fullness of Jesus if you don't reach out in the smallest of things. 
And maybe this morning your eyes have been opened to some what you think are trivial things like running out of wine. It's only a party for goodness sake. And yet Jesus is there waiting. Are you going to ask him? Are you going to ask him? I love that. What a great way to launch his career. To demonstrate what it's all about. It's not about the big things necessarily. It's about love for us. Well done, Jesus. I love that. (laughs) And then we continue to read. Let's move on. I love this bit. Jesus takes no credit whatsoever. What? Verses 9 and 10. It might be up on the screen. And the master of this banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, right? Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine later after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, bridegroom, you have saved the best till now. And that's it. What? You can imagine Jesus' PR team at this point, can't you? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, if you're going to do the wine thing, okay, fair enough, we'll live with it. But at least take the credit for it. This is no way to launch your career. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, sorry, excuse me. That was me who did that. You're thinking, you're so bad. You'd do the same, wouldn't you? Come on, it's a cool miracle. I did that. No. Jesus didn't do that, did he? He did not do that. And so in that moment, the bridegroom was the one that looked good. Right? You can imagine the doting bride. Oh, that's my man. You were you are so smart. You can imagine future dinner parties. I'll do the dinner, darling, and you. Oh, I can trust you. You always do so good on the wine. He would have looked amazing. He would have looked amazing. You know, the bridegroom was on the verge of shame, guys. You know, oftentimes we read these stories and we go so quickly through it. We don't, don't realise the, the emotion and what's happening here. And this is important because it's showing a truth here. And this gets me to the second point. Jesus is there to make you look great. Jesus is there to make you a success, to make you a hero. Really? Yes, absolutely. Jesus is in your life to make you a success. And what is success? I'm not talking about the world's definition of success. What's that? You know, fame, money, accolades, all of that stuff. That isn't success. Success is doing that which God has called you to do. Simple. Are you successful? Are you doing that which God called you? Ephesians 5.20. God has prepared good works for you before time began that you would walk in them. That is success, my friends. And if you're grappling with that question right now, let me tell you, seek God out and say, what's your plan for me? What's that path you have for me? And so Jesus is there to enable you to walk that path and to be a success. You know, the bridegroom's job was to provide the wine. That's all he had to do. And yet on his own, he could not do it. Without Jesus, he was on the brink of failure. But Jesus was there. Jesus was there. You know, you won't find yourself wanting... You won't find that you have run out of resource. You won't find you have run out of steam when Jesus is there. You know, I can recount countless times where Jesus has covered my back in business and in ministry. You know, um, some of you may know that uh, about six years ago, I started a company. At the time, we live in Australia, Lucy was 10 months old, and uh, I had a great career at Yahoo. Large team, PA, 
parking space, view of the harbour, trappings of an executive career, huge prospects. And God gave me an idea for a business. And he, and he said to Stefan, I want you to leave Yahoo and start this thing. Really? And we just sold our house, hadn't we? And we're about to buy a new one and we had this money in the bank. Everything we had accumulated thus far in our married life together. And God said, I want you to put it all in this and go for it. But Jesus, we'd only have six months worth of money. Look at this amazing job I've got on the career. God said, go do it. And you know, it was a bit fearful, wasn't it? But we prayed about it and we had a peace. And so we went in on that journey. That was the path that God had for me at that point. And let me tell you, I was on the brink of running out of wine countless times. Countless times I was going to look like a fool. Countless times heading into shame, failure knocking on the door. But Jesus always supplied the wine. It never ran out. It never ran out. And today the company, six years on, has thousands upon thousands of customers. We have a huge team in the US. And um, in June this year we sold it to a... U.S. publicly listed company. End of that journey for me. And it carries on. And people have said to me, wow, what an achievement. Look what you have done. And all I can say is, Jesus supplied the wine. I was about to run out so many times. Why do I share that story and that testimony? Because let me tell you, if you've invited Jesus to your party, your wine will not run out. It takes a leap of faith? Absolutely. It takes you to work hard? Yes. It takes you to listen to what he's saying? Yes. But for some of you, you haven't invited Jesus. He's your friend but you haven't invited him. You have him in a box called Sunday. Or you have him in a box called holy stuff, not to be opened in the marketplace. I said we're going to do some box smashing. I, get, I guess this is quite meaty, but what I'm trying to encourage you and, and say here is for some of us, you have not let Jesus in. And Jesus this morning is saying, I'm here. I want to come to your party. I'm here to make you look great. I'm here to make you a success. Let me in. And I will provide the wine. But I want to move on and time is ticking because the thing I love about the Jesus stories is there is whole other dimensions to them. What do I mean? You know, Steph and I love reading... Uh, to the kids at night time, Jesus stories, you know, we go through the Bible with them. And I love the, 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 the eyes, you know, when, the, when Jesus does a miracle. Wow, Jesus is so cool. And we've, some of us experience that in Sunday school or, you know, we, we experience that with our kids. But here's the thing, oftentimes because of that, we just consign it to the Sunday school bin and we say, right, we're moving on now to theological doctrinal debates as found in the book of Romans. We have moved on from those stories, but let me tell you, I think we need to revisit them because there is so much truth here. And so let's revisit this story, and I want to rewind and look at those two points for a different dimension. 
In order to do that, I want to provide a bit of background. John 1, okay, so John is setting the scene for us, and the context is important, because he says, in the beginning was God. In the beginning was God. Let me just get this so I don't get it wrong. Was, sorry, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In fact, the Word is God, and the, and, and the Word came and became flesh, Jesus, right? So Jesus didn't just appear in Bethlehem. Jesus was there from eternity. He was the created word, the logos. That's the Greek word for creation. Okay? And, and John is saying Jesus came here. Why? To reconcile man to God. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him. And then we move straight on to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is preparing a way. We need to repent. Okay? So the context here is, is saying, unlike Luke, who is very subtle, John is saying from the get-go, Jesus is God. He's come to reconcile man to God. He is the Savior. Let's get that out of the way. Let's have no confusion. And then we go straight to the wedding of Cana. There is no accident. Why? Because the wedding feast at Cana represents the marriage of the church with the bride. Groom. Jesus. It represents the marriage of the church with Jesus. It's about the wedding party that we're all invited to. Follow me with this. You know, we see this throughout the scripture. The church as the bride is being prepared for Christ. Ephesians 5, 22, 23, if you want some scriptural references. Paul here compares the union of husband and wife to that of Christ and the church. Revelation 19, 7, John again, who authored Revelation, said, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Here we go. For the wedding of the Lamb, Jesus, has come, and his bride, the church, has made herself ready. John 3, 28, 29. You yourselves can testify that I said, this is John the Baptist talking, saying, I am not the Messiah. John the Baptist was saying, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride... The church belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Straight after we read about the miracle in Cana. What was happening here, you see, friends, was a prophetic foretelling of why Jesus was here. Are you following me? His first miracle was going to be played out in his last act. His first miracle was going to be played out in his last act. This wasn't just a miracle that this demonstrated why he came to earth. If the PR team realized what Jesus was doing here, that'd be bowled over. Oh my, I didn't see that. That is amazing. No wonder you chose a wedding feast. You know, at this wedding, let's look at this, they run out of the old wine. The old covenant relationship was coming to an end. The covenant which was laid out by Moses, which was the law and the sacrificial system, right? Where our relationship with God was made possible because of the law. Are you following me with this? But it was always designed to come to an end. Paul talks about it in Romans, says the point of that covenantal relationship was to demonstrate our need for Jesus, the eternal covenant. What it's supposed to show us, that old covenant, was that we cannot do it on our own. We will always fall short of the glory of God. The only person that can fulfill the law is Jesus. And so what we see here in this story was the transition of the old to the new covenant being played out. Look at this. Jesus took the jars that are used for ceremonial washing. Hmm? He took the old, what represented the old covenant. And what happens? He changes it into wine. Well, in the, you know, I said the bridegroom 
had one job, one job alone to bring to the party, to bring the wine. Jesus brought the wine to this eternal party. He shed his blood. He shed his blood. Matthew 26, 8. Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And what do we read in verse 10? The master of the banquet says, the best has been saved to last. We are all invited to this wedding feast that will go for eternity. We read about it in Matthew 22, if you want any more proof. The parable of the wedding feast, and it's about eternity with him, an eternal wedding party. You are, you are invited. You are invited. And here's the last bit I want to get. I'll invite the band up at this point. And we get to the second point. Jesus didn't take the credit. <laughs> That's the whole point of his blood. It is credited to us. It's the whole point. The whole point. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross and say, it's about me, that's my blood. No, it's about that God looks at us and says, you are holy. You are holy because of what Jesus did. I would like us to stand You know, on our own goodness, we will never be able to enter the party. We will always fall short. We will always run out of our own wine. But you don't need to. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the Jesus stories. I want to thank you for what you have done on this earth, what you continue to do in our lives and, and the party that awaits us, Lord. Lord, would we not miss out on the truths by being satisfied with the boxes we have created? The boxes that says, I'm, my life is too trivial for Jesus. My stuff is too small, it's just this. Lord, you are, you are focused on us. I mean, it's, your word says that you've numbered the very hairs on our head. That speaks of a God that wants to know us intimately, that cares about every aspect. And I pray for people out here this morning, Lord, where... They have been operating under this lie that they have no self-worth, no self-value. I break that in Jesus' name and I claim the blood upon you. For those, for those boxes that says, my success is about what I can achieve on my own, I pray, Lord, that you would help us reevaluate that and that we would invite you along to every part of our lives. And for those of you that are, uh, are looking uh, for what success looks for you, Lord, I, I pray for those people that you would just open their eyes to the path and the works you've already got planned for them. For some of them, Lord, and me included, will you help us to listen more? But for some of us, Lord, we just need to invite you. And, and I pray that now. In your precious, precious name, and thank you for your blood that makes this all possible. In your name, amen. Let us worship the risen Lord.